0: Well, I have to give Phil a little credit. He did say that he would get me an air mattress for the tent. And he said, I'll even get like a little heater we can put in there. I'm like, well, what if it like caught on fire or something? Let's not do that. We'll just bundle up. But um, I do enjoy camping, so it's okay. Um, So how many of you do New Year's resolutions? Anybody out there? Well, I have to tell you that if you did, 80% of you have already failed. Because by February 1st, the majority of people, it's done, and it's over. And as you know, most New Year's resolutions are the top two, are diet and exercise. And the other ones are maybe start a new hobby. Um, One was travel, one was get a new job. various things that people have, these New Year's resolutions that they wanna do. And it's not that I'm totally opposed to um, having resolutions because I think resolutions are good, but what I don't like about New Year's resolutions is that it's a date, right? They say on January 1st, this is what I'm gonna do. And so what happens for the majority of people when it's February and they've already failed, do you have to wait like 11 more months before you like get back into like committing to doing what you're saying you're wanting to do? So, um, again, I don't have anything, there's nothing wrong with resolutions, and and there's nothing wrong with having a resolution where you're saying that I want to commit to diet and exercise, but um, that's really, as Christians, not, it shouldn't be what our focus is. Well, Christmas time, Cameron came home from college, and he said, hey, mom, can we do a New Year's resolution together? He said, I want to do this thing that's called 75 hard, and I'm like, okay, well, you lost me at hard. Um, and he goes, well, it's only 75 days. We can do it. It's 75 days. I'll go back to school. And I'm, he's, I've got it figured out because when I come back for spring break, we can celebrate that we did this together. And so I said, okay, what is it? So we looked up the video on it, and this guy had this video. And so this was the challenge, 75 hard. We had to pick a diet, and we had to stick to it. That's pretty easy. We can pick a diet that's reasonable and stick to it. Drink a gallon of water a day. A gallon. It's a lot of water. It's a lot of bathroom trips. (laughs) Then we had to complete two 45-minute workouts, and one had to be outside. That's where where I was like, I I don't think I can do this. We had to take a progress picture every day, and then we had to read 10 pages a day in a self-help book. So I'm like, who wrote this program? So I looked up the program to see who it was because I wanted to see if I'm gonna commit to doing something, I wanna know that the author of who committed, who's making the program actually has some credentials. This guy had zero credentials. In fact, people that were experts in the health field said that it could actually be bad for you. So I told Cameron, and I said, you know what? I love the idea of doing a resolution with you. I said, but as Christians, can we make this um, more about our spiritual walk than it is our physical walk? And he agreed. He's like, I'd love this. Let's do this, Mom. He goes, let's commit to doing things together that we can spur each other on throughout you know, our day and throughout our week, and it's a way that we can have something to look forward to in march when I come home to see how we've grown. So what we did was we came up with... Uh, Exercise and diet was part of our commitment that we were going to do, but our focus was going to be on the spiritual things. So we wanted to put into some practice some things that I had been learning in, in women's Bible study, and Carlin and talked, talked to us about putting God first and foremost. So I said, said, Cameron, first part of our day has to be devoted to daily Bible reading, being in God's word, and prayer. And then we'll text each other, we'll let, e- let each other know that when we've done that. So that was something that we committed to, daily Bible um, reading, Bible study, and prayer. And then we wanted to do, with our prayer, we wanted to mix it up a little, and Carlina talked about lingering longer. And so we're like, we're going to change up our prayer life. We're going to pray longer, and we're going to pray for different people and different um, people at his school, uh, different people that I don't normally pray for. Um, so we added that to our list. And the last one, we really liked the idea of the reading 10 pages a day. But we didn't want to do some self-help secular book. So we said, let's find a book that is something that's going to spur us on in our sanctification and let's read 10 pages a day. And so he has this book that's called Sex, Dating, and Relationships that he's been reading. And as a Christian man, he wants to know what it looks like to be in a committed relationship with a girl and how God wants him to have that relationship. I particularly, I like biographies or um, just even digging deeper into um, our study that we're doing, and so that's what I chose to do. So we were excited, super excited about this commitment that we were making. We we vowed to one another that this is what we were going to do, and we were going to expect spiritual growth in our life. And we're coming to a spot in Exodus 24 that this is exactly what we see that the Israelites did with God. You see, God gave them a list of his um, rules and his commands that they were to follow, and in Exodus 24 and And in Exodus 19, we see they agree to it. They've agreed to this list of things that they're going to do in anticipation of how they're going to grow closer to God. So remember, God initiated this agreement or this covenant back in Exodus 19, and they agreed to doing it. Before they got any of God's rules and his commandments, they agreed that they were going to follow it. So in chapters 20 through 23, what we have seen is we have been seeing all of God's laws and rules have been presented to not only the Israelites, but to us, and how he expected for them to live. And so in Exodus 24, this is um, Israel's response to God and all of his, his laws and his rules, and they're responding to what they're going to do. And so I want to focus this morning just on verses 3 through 8, and it's only going to be focused on Israel's response to God's expectations. So turn with me to Exodus 24, and I will read, start reading in verse 3 to you. It says, Moses came and told the people all the words of Yahweh and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that Yahweh has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of Yahweh. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to Yahweh. And Moses took half of the blood and he put it in the basins, and half of the blood he threw it on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that Yahweh has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient." And Moses took the blood and he threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that Yahweh has made with you in accordance with all of these rules. So here in this part um, of, in Exodus 24, we're seeing that they are confirming the covenant. They're confirming um, this agreement that they made with God. That's what a covenant is. A covenant, it's its more of a legal contract. It's, um, think about like the papers that you sign, if you're going to buy a car or a house. You're entering into something. You're saying, I am agreeing to the rules. I'm agreeing to this. Um, and another Covenant it would be that of a marriage, right? When you get married, you are agreeing that you are going to do certain things. It's, and this agreement and this covenant, it binds you into a very, very special relationship. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that this relationship between God and Israel is being confirmed in Exodus 24. So what are they agreeing to? Look back up to verse three, and it says, Moses came and told the people all the words of Yahweh and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice, and they said all the words that Yahweh has spoken we will do. They didn't say some of them. They didn't try to negotiate with any of them. They said all of them, right? All of it. Why did they say all of it? Because they trusted the author who was giving the rules, right? Right? They knew who God was. God had proven himself over and over and over, and we've seen that in Exodus. Um, we saw the plagues. God showed that he was God. He was the only true God. They rescued him through the Red Sea. They knew that they could trust him. He defeated Pharaoh. He was their God, and he was their people, and he, they had confidence in who he was. And we, too, can look to God with confidence that his words in Scripture are true, and they're perfect, and they are the way that we should be living. We obey God because we trust the author of the Bible. And so number one on our outline is we just need to admit that God is right. Admit that God is right. They agreed to live by all the rules that God laid out before them because they trusted who was the one that was giving these rules. The apostle Paul spoke of God's law in Romans 7.12. He said, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. We know that the Bible is so good, right? It's perfect. But if you look at the world, unfortunately, a lot of people look at the Bible and they look at it as a book of suggestions. There's some good stuff in there, right? But they're like, ah, you know, I can't obey all of that. I mean, that was written a long time ago. Things have changed and I can't commit to all of that. We would never say that. That's something that we would never say. We don't, as Christians, we don't believe that to be true. But I'm afraid that Sometimes our actions are saying that. When the word says that you're so supposed to submit to your husbands, and you're like, ah, oh, I can't. You don't know my husband, God. I don't think I can do that. But God is right. You have to admit God is right and do that. Or how about tax time? It's time to do our taxes, and you think, oh, I can like cheat a little bit right here because, you know, God doesn't understand our government right now and I don't trust him with my money. But if God's rule says that we are supposed to do our taxes and not cheat, you have to admit God is right. Or maybe it's in a relationship that you're in right now and you know that it's not the way that you should be living, but you're doing it anyways. You have to admit God is right and stop. I actually, when I was a young girl, before I came, sat in the pew and I put my fingers in my ears, and I went, la, 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 la. Because I knew God was right. I just didn't want to do it, right? And so I wonder how many of us do that. You're, I mean, we have to recognize that God's word is perfect, it's holy, and what he says is right. All of the words is what they agreed to, not some of them. If you're entering into an agreement to buy a car or a house and you don't like the terms, then you can negotiate away. But the thing is with the Bible, there's absolutely no, no negotiating with God. You can't pick and choose in Scripture what you want to agree with and what you can't. The Israelites claim to be all in. They spoke that three different times in our passages. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's Word is the only thing that can help us see right from wrong. And we have to know that whatever it says in Scripture, we have to agree with because it's absolutely perfect. And as we've been studying Exodus, it's been a challenge to to really put ourselves in, in the Israelites' shoes and what it must have felt like, right, to be at the foot of Mount Sinai. But think about it. They were sitting there. Waiting, anticipating to hear God's rules and instructions. I wonder what it would look like for us if we were sitting there, scrolling on our phones, not paying attention, looking at social media, or we get tired of waiting for God to come back down, so we just go and just do something else. This was all they had, was to wait and to listen and to anticipate what God had to say. And they were excited about it. They were ready and all in to agree to all of it. The thing is we love instructions we do I mean we've got bookstores and the internet that time that you want to know what to do you, you go to a book or you go to the internet and you try to figure out what to do right there's books on marriage there's books on finances there's books on relationships um, for those of you that have been pregnant what's the one book that you run out and you buy when you find out you're pregnant what to expect when you're expecting right yeah. Well, the thing that's so funny about that book is there was a lot of things in that book that they didn't tell me, right? We all know that. I mean, there's another one that's a girlfriend's guide to pregnancy. That one told some of the other stories. But when it came time there in the hospital, I was like, you know what? This book was not perfect. (laughs) But we do have a perfect book that tells us everything we need to live, right? And it's the Bible. And you know what? It's the number one best-selling book that's out there. And it's because we know that it's perfect and it's right and it's the way that we are to live our lives. And what's cool is it is the only book that you will ever read that the author is sitting right next to you when you're reading it. Pretty cool. So as we're studying this book in Exodus and we're thinking about what was it like to have be in in the life of the Israelites, we've got his word right there as if we're sitting right there at Mount Sinai. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 19. I loved this verse in our study. This was the very first verse that we um, were to look at in our study this week that we did in Psalm 19. David says how much he loves God's law and the benefits and value we have available to us. The Bible is special. The Bible, it's the only book that is 100% true. David says in Psalm 19.7, he says, The law of Yahweh is perfect reviving the soul. Perfect means that nothing is missing. It's absolutely 100% complete. And revive, reviving the soul, this word revive means to restore, refresh, convert, or transform. So the Bible we have at our fingertips, on our phone, in our laps, on our computer, it can change your life. It changes your soul, right? Right? And then it goes on to say, the testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. The rules of Yahweh are true and righteous altogether. So if you look at everything that, that he is saying, that, that David is saying that the Bible is, he says it's sure. It's right, it's pure, it's clean, and it's true. And what are the benefits of that? The benefits are in verse 10, it's more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, and sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Do you value and desire God's word like that and treasure the Bible that we have? I'm afraid so many times that we can... um, we just need to have it in perspective, that we have God's words right in front of us. They were sitting in Mount Sinai, just dying to hear from God. And we, sometimes we just take advantage that we get to hear from him anytime we want to. I read a story this last week about this little girl. She was blind and she knew how to read braille. And someone gave her um, the Bible to read in braille. And she loved it so much that she actually wore out, uh, wore out calluses on her fingers, her fingertips. And because of the calluses on her fingertips, when she was reading the Bible, she couldn't feel it anymore, so she couldn't read the Bible. So she tried to shave off the calluses on her fingers in hopes that that would help her, but it actually damaged her fingers worse. So it says in the story that she actually grabbed the Bible to kiss it, and she realized that she could feel and read with her lips. That's crazy right? Do we value God's word like that? Do we look at God's Bible as a privilege that we have his words in our lap? Ladies, let's not take for granted that we have God's words available 24-7 and his word is perfect. And we need to make sure that it's a compass for how we are to live our lives. Can we stop making excuses in areas in our life that we know that are going against how we're supposed to be living and admit that God is right and it's not negotiable and start living for him? After the Israelites heard all God's words and agreed to obey them, Moses did something very interesting in Exodus 24. Look at verse 4. It says, and Moses wrote down all the words of Yahweh. After the Israelites agreed, he verbally gave them all the laws and rules. Then Moses goes all night long and he writes the words down. What we're seeing right here is the beginning of the canon of Scripture. That's pretty cool, right? the books that we have in our lap this is when it started moses went and wrote it down from the very beginning god wanted his words written down so generations could come to come could hear what god had to say Then immediately after writing all night long, verse 4 continues and says, He, being Moses, rose early in the morning, and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to Yahweh. And Moses took half of the blood, and he put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant. That's what he had been writing down all night long. And he read it in the hearing of the people, and they said... All that Yahweh has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. This is the third time that they've agreed, right? We're in, we're in, we're in. Yes, yes, yes. They said it in chapter 9, they said it in verse 3, and they just said it in verse 7. They trusted in God and his commandments, so they made a vow to obey him and live under those laws and rules, and we need to do the same thing. So number two on your outline is commit to obey the Lord. Commit to obey the Lord. The Israelites knew that he was the only true God. They knew he was right, that he was in charge of them. And as a result, they committed and said, okay, God, we'll do it. We'll do what you say. And if you are a Christian and you claim Jesus is the Lord of your life, then you obey him. We just do. Now, obedience isn't what saves you. We know that. But we know that if you have been saved, the only answer and the only response is to follow him and obey him. Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? My dad, whenever he would tell me to do something and I would try to give an excuse, and he'd be, ah, just do what I told you to do, do it. And what he would always say to me was period, paragraph. And that meant conversation's over, let's move on, right? If, if Jesus or God tells you to do something, you do it, because He's Lord. Period, paragraph, move on. Commit to obey Him. Turn to Romans 6:17. See, when we became Christians, we got a new heart, right? We have a desire to obey God. That's something that we have. We desire to do it. It's the putting it into practice that's the hard part. In Romans 6:17, it says, but thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. We have a desire to obey him. Like the beginning of the year, where you make a resolution, you're like, yeah, I'm in, I have a desire to do this, but how am I gonna do it? How am I gonna do this? We say that we want to, but then it's putting it into practice. See, we've been challenged over the last month from some really, really great teachings of the rules and the laws that God gave us. And I just want us to do a little recap and an honesty check. Let's think back of some of the things and the commandments that we've had. Carlin started us off with loving God, right? There were things that God called us to do with our relationship with him. And she started in her first lesson that she had, she had these points. The first one was loving God first and foremost. I want you all to think about that. What were some commitments that you made in that teaching? Loving God first and foremost with your daily Bible reading, with your Bible study. I know a lot of us probably walked out of here and went, Yeah, I'm all in. How are you doing with that? She challenged us to love God with our relationships, that we were to linger longer in prayer, linger longer in the Bible, linger longer in fellowship with other Christians, at church, and in worship. How are you doing with that? We were to love God with our words. Yeah, there were some challenges there, how we were supposed to speak. How are you doing with that? And then we were to love God with our calendar. Just think back, and I would encourage you to go back in your lessons when she taught on that. Look at the things that you committed to do and how are you doing? Are you still at it? Because with resolutions, 80% of people, it says that they've already failed. So I just pray that our resolutions were not. When it comes to committing to God's word, these are things that we're following through with. And then Stephanie last week, she talked to us about loving our sisters and being united together. We are are to be united as sisters in Christ and taking care of one another and forgiving one another. Was there anyone you were supposed to forgive but you've not picked up that phone or written a letter and reached out to them? The thing is, as many times we come to church or we come to Bible study, or we go to women's retreat, and we are all in, like the Israelites, and we say, yes, 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 I'm going to do it. But are you still doing it? We need to commit to obey God. And I get it, it's hard. This is not something that's easy. It's not like you can take a magic pill, and poof, you know, we commit to it, and now we're all in, and we're agreeing. So I want to give us four suggestions of helpful tips of ways that we can accomplish this goal, ways that we can um, succeed at committing to obey God. And I looked up some things online. I was just curious, you know, what does the world do when they're trying to follow through with a resolution versus, you know, what do we do as Christians? What was interesting is the number one thing that all experts say, if you are going to um, accomplish um, committing to something, you have to write it down. So number one is write it down. You and I all have different walks in our sanctification that we're trying to accomplish, right? So we all have different things that we're working on, things that we need to be committed to. I want you to make a plan. Get a journal. Maybe you just want a Post-it note. Maybe you have a calendar. Whatever it is, make a plan and write it down. What's so great about that is not only are you, are you committing to it as you're writing it down, but it's something that you can go back on later on and you can look at it and you can see how well you did. And then you can praise God for answered prayer. The second thing is after you've written it down, you have to be in God's Word. You have to be in God's Word for God to help you. And to pray and go to him in prayer for him to help you with that. And what's so great, these two actually go side by side because as you're in the Bible and you're studying the Bible and you're meditating on God's word, he's going to show you other things that you need to work on. And you're going to go back up to point one and you're going to write it down. And it's going to be an ongoing cycle of prayer, being in God's word, and writing it down. We have to meditate on God's word. Psalm 1, 1 through 2 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So it's not just a check mark. You get up in the morning, you spend time with God, and then you move on. Meditate on it day and night. Psalm Psalm 119, 24. One forty-seven says, I rise before dawn and I cry for help. I hope in your words. The third thing is accountability. The thing is, we can't do this alone. It's help. One, we need God, but two, we need each other. And so after you've written it down, I encourage you to have an accountability partner, someone that you can tell your goals to. And what's good about that is then they can can ask you, how are you doing it in that? I'll tell you when I meet with my accountability partner, the one reason, not the one reason, the main reason I wanna do it is because God's called me to, but I know she's gonna ask me how I'm doing, right? And so you have a goal set, and, and if they're gonna ask you how you're doing, it's gonna push you forward to following and committing in that. Um, another suggestion that you could do is in our groups, we have prayer requests, right? And so maybe you write down one day a week something that you want to be committed to, to grow in your sanctification, and you share it with your group. And then the next week in your group, you all ask each other, how are you doing with that? And it will push you forward to accomplishing that. Unfortunately, there are some um, areas in our life that we need more than an accountability partner. There's areas of sin that, that we have that we need help. And Thankfully, our church, they do offer counseling. We have great biblical counseling here. So if you're struggling in an area of obedience and it's something that you just have not been able to kick, then I just encourage you, call the church, set up a one-on-one with a counselor and see if there's a way that they can help you be more committed to obeying God. And then the last one, what the world said that you have to do if you're gonna accomplish a goal is you need to reward yourself. I'm not putting it down as reward yourself, I'm putting it down as rewards, right? Because it's not like, oh, you diet and you get to go out and buy yourself an outfit. Or, oh, if you did really well on your diet this week, you get to go cheat on Sunday and eat whatever you want. No, those aren't the rewards we're looking at. We're looking for the rewards that God is going to give us, right? That's our motivation, motivating factor, is looking forward to the eternal rewards that God will give us when we commit to obey him. We need to be motivated by that and anticipate our rewards and that we'll receive later by obedience to God. The thing is, the Israelites, they were all in. They had the desire to obey, but we're going to see that they failed, and we fail too. See, Moses is going to go back up the mountain, and he's going to get the directions on building the tabernacle. And while he's gone, the Israelites, everything that they promised, they mess up, and we do too. The ratification of the covenant in Exodus 24 was to allow a way for the people of Israel to have a relationship with God even when they messed up. And because of our ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for our sins, we're able to have a relationship with him too. Pastor Mike um, did a whole series in Hebrews on Um, What what do those animal sacrifices mean? And it was great. And I'm not going to get into um, in this passage because it will take way too long about all the significance of the blood and the sacrifices. But if you want to look up what Pastor Mike talked about, he actually referenced Exodus 24. It's called What's With All Those Animal Sacrifices and it's message number 06-35. I would encourage you in your time to listen to that. But in short, in ancient times, it was common... For when two people made a covenant, they cut it in blood. And the blood was placed on both parties as a commitment to keep a pact, to keep the oath that they were making. And the covenant was this. God said, here's my law, obey my law, and you will be blessed. And Israel's commitment was, we will obey. That simple, right? Right? So to seal the deal in verse eight, it says Moses took the blood and he threw it on the people and said, behold the blood of the covenant that Yahweh has made with you in accordance with all of these rules. What? That's so easy to just to read right past that, right? Threw some blood on the people. But I want you to think about this. They had blood on their clothes, stained on their clothes, on their bodies. There was a smell to it. They didn't have spray and wash or washing machines to go home and, like, clean it or or throw the outfit away and go put on another outfit. They were stained with it. This was something that they were going to have on them for a while as a vivid reminder of what God just did for them. It was a symbol of forgiveness, but it was also an oath that they were going to obey. And a result of, like, seeing that on you, wouldn't that change the way you lived Because it would remind you what you had promised that you were going to do. And it should have done that for the Israelites. It should cause them that they should be walking and following God and his commands. If we have given our lives to Christ and say that he is our Lord and are committed to obeying him, then we should be growing daily to look more and more like Jesus. And that's number three is expect spiritual growth. There's been this uh, 10-year challenge on social media that's been going around it is where you post a picture of yourself 10 years ago and then your current picture. <laughs> so you're like <laughs> lupe. She's like, ugh, no. But if you think about like, you think about that, right? I mean, like most of us when we're looking at that, as we're aging, you know, you you kind of wanna look the same as this other picture over here. You don't want the wrinkles, and you look at the 10 year from now and you're like, ugh. But as a Christian, we, we want it to look better, right? It should look totally different. Our 10-year challenge, we, we want to be looking better than we were last year. How we were looking in 2021 should look different in 2022. I want you to turn with me to Philippians 3. We have the perfect example in the Bible of what it looks like to have someone that was living one way and drastically turned and his life changed, and we can see exactly what spiritual... Um, maturity looks like in Paul. So in Philippians 3, we see that he is a great example. Um, He often used the illustration that a Christian life is like an athlete, that we are like a runner and the Christian life is a race trying to move toward the finish line to earn a prize. And this is what he said in Philippians 3, starting in verse 12. He recognized he wasn't perfect. He said, "Not not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That was his resolution, is to grow more and more like Christ. Why? Because Jesus died for him. So that was his goal in life, was to be more and more like Jesus and obey him. Then in verse 13, he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do is forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies behind ahead. And what's great about this is stop looking back. Don't look back at the areas that you've already messed up. Make today the day of your resolution that you're committing to move forward in your sanctification. Stop looking back. Look forward at the prize that you're going to have. We're not going to be sinless, but like we always say, you should be sinning less. Verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This word press means he's pursuing it. He's chasing it. He's running after it. He's running to win a prize. And he's talking about spiritual growth. So I wonder, how are you all doing in this race? You know, the Israelites, they were in a race to the promised land. And we're in a race right now to see God in heaven. Well, first of all, I hope you're in the race. Because if you're not in the race, then you need to go back to point one, and you need to admit God's right. But if you are in the race, I wonder how you're doing. Because there's different, part, there's different um, ones of us that are in here right now. There's some of us that are running, right? We have our spiritual mentors that are running, and they're running hard. And what I have to say to you is, you know, you're the one that keeps us going. Those of you that are running hard, In in races, you have someone that's like the pace person, and the people that are in the race, they keep their eyes focused on that person, and it it helps them keep on going. But then there's some of us that, you know, you're you're joggers, which is fine. You know, you're joggers, you're moving forward, and there's some that are walking. They're speed walkers, you know, and there's walkers, and then there's some that are just like laying on the ground. They're laying on the ground. This was me in the mud run. I was laying on the ground. I didn't want to finish, but you know what I had? had girlfriends that came up next to me and they picked me up and they said let's go we're gonna finish this race and we did and it felt so good and in scripture we see what it looked like what it looked like for Paul when he finished the race in second Timothy 4 7 see he had ran this race and at the end of his life he was writing to Timothy to encourage him in his own walk and he had no regrets you see he did what God called him to do and he did it well and in verse 7 of 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. This word fight, it's excessive effort. It means it's going to take energy. To be obedient and to finish the fight, we're going to have to work hard. And so if you're saying, I'm fighting through obedience, I'm really trying to do this, but you're, are you really, are you really fighting for it? And the second thing he said is, he said, I have finished the race he finished it. We need to get back on track and we need to finish the race. We need to keep our eyes focused on the road and where we're running. And then he says, I have kept the faith. I have kept is the verb guarded, meaning I have guarded my faith. I'm committed to trusting in God's word and I'm going to obey it. Because the thing is, we can't do any of this unless we're in God's word and we're trusting in God alone. I want to be able to leave this world with confidence that I've done all that God has called me to do. Don't you? How can I live my life so it ends like that? Well, unfortunately, Cameron and I um, were part of the statistics of a New Year's resolution challenge. But only in the area of exercise and eating. Water's been pretty good. But um, yeah, my Peloton... I literally have clothes hanging on it right now. I'm gonna get back on it. I am. It's been a busy few weeks. But yeah, but the things that mattered the most, which was being committed to being in God's Word, daily Bible reading, our prayer life, growing through um, reading the books and the biographies that we are, that's been good stuff. There's nothing like waking up with a text from your child to say, Good morning, Mom. I read the Bible. I prayed for you, I prayed for my fellow cadets, can you pray for this? Good morning mom, how's it going? And in the afternoon, hi mom, guess what I just did? I just finished my book, I'm gonna pick up another one and start another one. That's the stuff that matters, right? Those are the areas that we need to be focused on. When we say yes, yes, yes to God, we're saying yes, yes, yes. I'm committing to obey you. I'm committing you are right. I'm gonna obey you and we're gonna expect spiritual growth in our lives. My hope and prayer is that we can do all of that this year in 2022. Don't wait for another date to set on your calendar. Just do it now. I wanna be resolved to study God's word daily and let it be our guide for how to live that we will be committed to obey him with zero excuses and that we will strive to be more and more like Jesus every day. Let's pray. Dear God, what an amazing book that we have of your words. It's been such a joy to dive into your word daily and by the hour and by the minute and I'm always just so in awe of the things that you say and you do and your promises every time that I open it up, God. Um, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for the book of Exodus. I want to thank you for the example of Moses. God, I pray for all the ladies here that um, we can just be committed to obeying you, that we can grow together. We can come alongside one another and spur one another on. And that this time next year, that we can look back and we can see growth in our lives, God. God, we give you all the glory for everything that you will do in and through us, and we pray all these things in your perfect holy name. Amen. You are all dismissed.